Hello chaps, it's Mark from English on Command and today we're going to read one more chapter of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So if you remember, we have Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect, they are right now outside uh, of the bar, outside of the pub and they don't know what's going on, something big is about to happen, the world is about to be destroyed. Alright, moving on to chapter number 4. Far away, on the opposite spiral arm of the galaxy, 500,000 light years from the star Sol, Zephyr Bibblebrox, president of the Imperial Galactic Government, sped across the seas of Demogran. His iron drive delta boat winking and flashing in the Demogran sun. Demogran the hot, Demogran the remote, Demogran the almost totally unheard of. Demogran, secret home of the heart of gold. The boat sped on across the water. It will be some time before it reached its destination because the Mogran is such as um, it's quite inconveniently arranged planet. It consists of nothing but uh, middling to large desert islands separated by very pretty but annoyingly wide stretches of ocean. The boat sped on. Because of this um, typological awkwardness, the Mogran has always remained a deserted planet. This is why the Imperial Galactic Government chose the Mogan of the Heart of Gold project, because it was so deserted and the Heart of Gold was so secret. The boat zipped and skipped across the sea, the sea that lay between the main islands of the main archipelago of any useful size of the whole planet. Zephyr Bibelbrox was on his way from the tiny spaceport on Easter Island. The name was an entirely meaningless coincidence. The uh, galactic speak, Easter, means small, flat and light brown. To the heart of Gold Island, which by another meaningless coincidence was called France. One of the side effects of work of the heart of Gold was a whole string of pretty meaningless coincidences. But it was not in any way a coincidence that today, the day of culmination of the project, the great day of unveiling, the day that the Heart of Gold was finally to be introduced to a marveling galaxy, it was also a great day of culmination for Zephyr Bibelbrox. It was for the sake of this day that he had first decided to run for the presidency, a decision which had sent waves of astonishment throughout the Imperial Galaxy. Zephyr Bibelbrox, president, <laughs> not the Zephyr Bibelbrox. Not the president. Many had seen it as a clinching proof that the whole of known creation had finally gone bananas. Zephyr grinned <laughs> and gave the bone an extra kick of speed. Zephyr Bibelbrook's adventure, ex-hippie, good timer, crook, quite possibly, maniac, self-publicist, terribly bad at personal relationships, often thought to be completely out to lunch. President, no one had gone bananas, not in that way at least. Only six people in the entire galaxy understood the principle on which the galaxy was governed. And that they knew that once Zephyr Bibelbrox had announced his intention to run as president, it was more or less um, a fate accompli. He was the ideal presidency photo. What they completely failed to understand was why Zephyr was doing it. He banged sharply, shooting a wild wall of water at the sun. 
today was the day. Today was the day when they, when they would realize what Zephyr had been up to. Today was that Zephyr Bible Brock's presidency was all about. Today was also his 200th birthday. Yep, but that was just another meaningless coincidence. As he skipped his ball across the seas of the Mogran, he smiled quietly to himself about what a wonderful, exciting day it was going to be. He relaxed and spread his two arms lazily across the seat back. He steered with an extra arm he had recently fitted just beneath his right one to help improve his ski boxing. Hmm. Hey, he cooed to himself. You are a real cool boy, you. But this nerve sang a song shriller than a dog whistle. The island of France was about 20 miles long, and 5 miles across the middle, sandy and crescent shape. In fact, it seemed to exist not uh, as much as an island on its own right, as simply a means of defying the sweep and curve of a huge bay. This impression was heightened by the fact that the inner coastline of the crescent consisted almost entirely of steep cliffs. From the top of the cliff, the land sloped slowly down five miles to the opposite shore. On top of the cliff stood a reception committee. It consisted in large part of the engineers and researchers who had built the Heart of Gold. Mostly humanoid, but here and there were a few reptiloid uh, atomineers. Two or three green slife-like uh, maxi-megalactions an octopoid psychoturnalist, uh, sorry guys, I don't even know what is it, or two, and a huluvu. A huluvu is a super intelligent shade of the color blue. All except the huluvu were replendent in their multicolored ceremonial lab coats. The huluvu had been temporarily reflected into a freestanding prism for the occasion. There was a mood of immense excitement thrilling through all of them. Together and between them they had gone to and beyond the furthest limits of physical laws, restructured the fundamental fabric of matter, strained, twisted and broken the laws of possibility and impossibility. But still, the greatest excitement of all seemed to be to meet a man with an orange sash round his neck. An orange sash was what the President of the Galaxy traditionally wore. It might not even have made much difference to them if they had known exactly how much power the President of the Galaxy actually wielded. None at all. Only six people in the galaxy knew that the job of the Galactic President was not to wield power, but to attract attention away from it. Zaphod Bibelbrock was amazingly good at his job. The crowd gasped dazzled by sun and seamanship as the president's speedboat zipped round the headland into the bay. It flashed and shone as it came skating over the sea in wide skidding turns. In fact, it didn't need to touch the water at all because it was supported on a hazy cushion of ionized atoms. But just for the fact, it was fitted with thin fin blades which could be lowered into the water. They slashed sheets of water, hissing into the air, carved deep gashes into the sea, which swayed crazily and sank back foaming into the boat's wake as it careered across the bay. Zaphod loved the fact. It was what he was best at. 
he twisted the wheel sharply. The boat slewed round in a wild, screeching skid beneath the cliff face and dropped to rest slightly on the rocking waves. Within seconds, he ran out into the deck and waved and grinned at over 3 billion people. The 3 billion people weren't actually there, but they watched his every gesture through the eyes of a small robot 3D camera, which hovered subsequently in the air nearby. The antics of the president always made amazingly popular 3D. That's what they were for. He grinned again. Three billion and six people didn't know it. But today would be a bigger antic than anyone had bargained for. The robot camera honed in for a close-up on the more popular of his two ads and he waved again. He was roughly humanoid in appearance except for the extra head and the third arm. His fair tousled hair stuck out in random directions. His blue eyes glinted with something completely unidentifiable. And his chins were almost always unshaven. A 20-foot high transparent globe floated next to his boat, rolling and bubbling, glistening to the brilliancy of the sun. Inside, it floated with a wide semicircular sofa, um, upholstered in glorious red leather. The more the globe bobbed and rolled, the more the sofa stayed perfectly still, steady as an upholstered rock. Again, all done for effect as much as anything. Zaffa stepped through the wall of the globe and relaxed on the sofa. He spread his two arms lazily along the back and with the third brush some dust off his knee. His head, his head, looked about, smiling. He put his feet up. At any moment, he thought he might scream. Water boiled up beneath the bubble. It seethed and spouted. The bubble surged into the air, bubbling and rolling the water spout. Up, up it climbed through slits of slight at the cliff. Up it surged on the jet, the water falling from beneath it, crashing back into the sea hundreds of feet below. Zephyr smiled, picturing himself. A thoroughly ridiculous form of transport, but a thoroughly beautiful one. At the top of the cliff, the globe wavered for a moment, tipped onto a rail ramp, rolled down it to a small concave platform and riddled to a halt. To tremendous applause, Zephyr Brock stepped out of the bubble, his orange stash blazing in a light. The president of the galaxy had arrived. He waited for the applause to die down, then raised his hands in greeting. He, he said. A governed spider settled up to him and attempted to press a copy of his prepared speech in his hands. Pages 3 to 7 of the original version were at the moment floating solely on the Demogran Sea some five miles south of the bay. Pages 1 and 2 had been salvaged by a Demogran front crystal eagle, and had already become incorporated into an extraordinary new form of nest which the eagle had invented. It was constructed largely of paper, and it was visually impossible for a new hatched baby eagle to break out of it. The Mogren, front, crested eagle, had heard of the notion of survival of the species, but wanted no truck with it. 
Zephyr Wilberbrox would not be needing his sad speech and he gently deflected the one being offered him by the spider. He, he said again, everyone beamed on him, or at least nearly everyone. He singled out Trillian from the crowd. Trillian was a girl that Zephyr had picked up recently whilst visiting the planet, just for fun, incognito. She was slim, darkish humanoid with blonde waves of black hair, a full mouth, and a little knob of a nose, and ridiculously brown eyes with her red headscarf nodded in that particular way, and her long flowing silky brown dress. She looked vaguely Arabic. Not that anyone there had ever heard of an Arab, of course, the Arabs had very recently ceased to exist, and even when they had existed, they were 500,000 light years from the Mogran. Trillian wasn't anybody in particular, or so Zephyr claimed. She just went around with him rather a lot and told him what she thought of him. Hi, honey, he said to her. She flashed him a quick, tight smile and looked away. Then she looked back for a moment and smiled more warmly. But this time, he was looking at something else. Hi, he said to a small knot of creatures from the press were standing nearby, wishing that he would stop saying hi and get on with the quotes. He grinned at them, particularly because he knew that in a few moments he would be giving them one hell of a quote. Next thing he said, there was not a lot of use to them. One of the officials of the party had irritably decided that the president was clearly not in the mood to read the deliciously turned speech that had been written for him, and had flipped the switch on the remote control device in his pocket. Away in front of them, a huge white dome that bulged against the sky cracked down in the middle, split, and slowly folded itself down into the ground. Everyone gasped. Although they had known perfectly well what it was going to do that because they had built it that way, beneath it lay and covered a huge starship, 150 meters long, shaped like a sleek running shoe perfectly wide and mind-bogglingly beautiful. At the heart of it, unseen, lay a small gold box which carried within it the most brain-wrenched device ever conceived, a device which made the starship unique in the history of the galaxy, a device after which the ship had been named the Heart of Gold. Wow, says Zephyr Bibelbrock to the Heart of Gold. There wasn't much else here you could say. He said it again because he knew it would annoy the press. Wow. The crowd turned their faces back towards him expectantly. He winkled at Trillian, who raised his eyebrows and widened his eyes at him. She knew what he was about to say and thought him a terrible show-off. That is really amazing, he said. That really is truly amazing. That is so amazingly amazing, I think I would like to steal it. A marvelous presidential quote, absolutely true to form. The crowd laughed appreciatively. And the newsmen gleefully punched buttons on their Sabatha newsmatics. And the president grinned. <laughs> As he grinned, his heart screamed unbearably, and he fingered the small, paralyzed somatic bomb that nestled quietly in his pocket. Finally, he could bear to it no more. He lifted his hands up to the sky, let out a wild whoop and major thirds, threw the bomb to the ground, and went forward to the sea 
of suddenly frozen smiles. That's the end of chapter four, my friends. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.